Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show, a podcast designed to help you gain clarity, lead effectively, and drive results for yourself, your team, and your organization. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Miller. Today is a special, special day for the Strata Leadership Show because we have someone on the show today that has an amazing amount of experience in the world that he is committed to. He is an amazing leader and someone who has really opened the doors of opportunity for a lot of people. Today, our guest is Andrew Robinson. Andrew, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so excited to be here and, and looking forward to this experience. So yeah, this is great. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So Andrew is the Chief Human Resource Officer for CKE Restaurant Holdings, which you have probably been a part of Andrew's career, whether you know it or not. So if you've <laughs> ever been to Carl's Jr., to, to Hardee's, you know, they, they have a, a number of restaurants that are a part of what they're doing. And so today, are you in Franklin, Tennessee? Yes, I'm in beautiful Franklin. It's a lovely day here um, at our corporate office. Well, again, thank you for taking the time. Looking back at your career, you know, starting off uh, your life, I want to hear about that. Then you move on to Howard and then you go get your MBA. And then you start working with some pretty major companies right off the bat, leading to where you are now. Looking back at your career, which <laughs> is an amazing resume, but looking back at your career, I don't know where you want to go. Maybe you're a 19-year-old at Howard. Maybe you're younger. What is one thing you wished you had known when you began your career? And looking back at this point, it's quite interesting to ask that question. The one thing that I always go back to is that it's all about the people. (laughs) You can be the smartest person out there, but at some point, it's about the people you work with, the people you engage with, the people you choose to surround yourself with professionally and personally, and surrounding yourself with a winning group of people, people that inspire you, people that go above and beyond, that work hard, that understand all the dynamics of success, again, personally and professionally, it's the one thing that I would tell my younger self, really, really focus on that. So the idea of people, that everything is connected to people, and I'm assuming there were people in your life that made an impact on you as a leader. And I I love, and I I say this because I really mean this, of I could listen to this for for hours and hours. I love hearing people talk about the other people who made an impact on them as a leader. Can you share about uh, someone who made an impact on your life? Yes, I've worked with great people like Les Wexner and Don Fisher that started The Gap and Stephen Starr. But I will tell you the person that made the biggest impact on my life was when I was an hourly team member at McDonald's, my first general manager, the person that saw something in a 16-year-old kid that I didn't see in myself and took the time to develop me and inspire me and show me through their example how to aspire for more. And then while they didn't build that need to be successful, I mean, I had some of that naturalness um, in myself and the way my parents raised me, but just showed me a path. I took hold of that. I dedicated myself to it. I would take the SOP manual home and read it from end to end. I remember sitting in the break room and looking at a career path and really saying to myself, I want to get certified on this. I want to be a manager. I bought in hook, line, and sinker, and it was one of the most exciting times in my life, but having that person show me what it took to be a leader and how they inspired a group of young kids 
daily to deliver results probably had the biggest impact on my life. And I sit here today because of that individual. I appreciate you honoring that person. I started working 40 hours a week when I was 14 as a janitor at the mall and my brother was 16. And then we moved to a new town and he got a job at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love that experience that you're describing of wherever I am, I want to be the best at this that I can be. And to have someone come alongside you and see that within you and cultivate what was already there, amazing. Uh, the impact that people can make. And and I will tell you, it has given me a great frame of reference when I visit restaurants. I I spend more time with the hourly team members because I want to play that forward. I want to be that inspiration for them because I'm probably looking at the next president of a CKE restaurants, the next president of McDonald's. I want to give that same example to a lot of the people that I come in contact with every day, just like someone did for me. And let's be honest, these folks sit in the cold face with our guests every day. They know our guests better than anyone else. Um, making sure we give them the dignity and respect of engaging in conversation with them and, and finding out what we need to do differently is really critical and important to me. Again, I just find that to be inspiring to start there and now be the CHRO of a billion dollar company with 20,000 plus people, uh, part of that team. So, When we look at the resume, we tend to see the things that uh, worked out well. You have these highlights, but any leader that you will ever talk to has uh, stories in their life when it did not work well. And I, I say that because you don't even have to translate for other leaders. Other leaders understand what it means to have a failure or to have a series of failures. And they look at failure differently. They tend to, not always, but they tend to of the failure is another learning opportunity and an experience that they can learn from. So are there any things that you might be able to share with those who are listening in? Because maybe they're in a moment right now where it's not working. But is there a failure that you could share? I'll tell you, you're right. They said that Einstein went through a thousand steps before he invented the light bulb and all failures are the basis in which success happens. I remember the first time I hired an individual and I had just become a manager and I had stopped, graduated from Hamburger University and I was very excited and cocky and and had a need to hire someone and I hired the first person that came in. Even though all of the pattern interview guides probably told me not to, I addressed it in a very transactional way and it was such an important important lesson for me because it took me six months to replace the person. But even more important, I was able to find out how the impact, the long lasting impact it had on my team, not to get the right person there and to take a long time to be able to make that hard decision. And I think too many times managers, while you need to be thoughtful about these decisions, you need to be thoughtful about not only what type of intervention is appropriate and whether people have been trained the right way, but when it's over, being able to replace that person and let them go into something they can be successful at. But I often think about that. And and the biggest decision we make as managers is, is, again, comes back to the people, the people we decide to let on the team. And we need to be very, very thoughtful about that. Not everyone gets to play on the team and you need to be thoughtful about it. And that was probably my big first aha moment as a manager. And I learned a lot from that. And I dedicated more time going forward to thinking about my team and what was the right compliment? What was the team missing and the roles that people play on the team? Well, again, it goes back to what you've already brought up. It's about people. And if you're asking people to give you sometimes the best years of their life, right, to put them in a situation where they could thrive is everything for a leader. 
and it kind of transitions into this next thought of when you think about what allows companies to thrive, there, there's so much negative about social media, but then again, there's so much positive in that the accountability level has never been higher. And so companies are really being judged on their values because you're, you're able to share what you didn't like so easily. And so companies are really finding that focusing on those core values has a significant impact. You're a values-driven guy. Mm-hmm. And when you look at you and other leaders in your organization, communicate those core values. How do you transfer these ideas of we need to treat people this way? How do you transfer that through your organization? I think the tactical piece of transferring that is, you know, making sure it's in all of your employee touch points. But more importantly, it's making sure that your decisions are made with the people see the manifestation in the decisions that leaders are making or people are making every day and how they engage with each other. I love beautiful values that sit on a wall, but they mean nothing if there's not transparency to them. And people need to be able to see it in your decision making. They need to be able to see the values come to life and examples of those. And I think that is, that's the benchmark that companies have to overcome. I've worked for companies that had beautiful values, but then there was always that white elephant out there that people pointed to and said, yeah, the values only go to a certain point. And I actually have made it in my current position really important for my organization to live the values. If this is important to us, whether it's the top of the organization or the bottom, the same rules apply. You know, at CK, we've done a really nice job of doing that and, and having a CEO that, that makes decisions that are values driven and having a leadership team that lives by the values and says to themselves as they do their day-to-day activities, the same rules apply to me and I want to demonstrate to people. And there have been times I've called out things. I think there are times when people will see the company pay for certain things and I've called out and said, no, look, I paid for lunch. <laughs> this is not an entitlement. And I think you have to do that because nature bores a vacuum and people will come up with their own interpretation. And I want to be really clear about and intentional about the messages that, that our employees get from us. If there had ever been a question of how valuable someone in the CHRO seat is, that has been taken away through COVID. We, we really had to come to grips with how we take care of people, how can we recruit, retain the strength of the team, all of that. We knew it was important, but we, we may not have fully grasped how important those values are. And so when, when you look at your role, you have one of the most recognized brands in the world. Mm-hmm. People are highly competitive, perhaps the most competitive environment. And so you see those core values and it's so significant in trying to build what you're trying to build. How do you help the organization align its activities? So it's not just on that, the wall, like you said earlier, but it's actually instilled within the lives of people at work. How do you align that, those core values for people at work? I think it's a lot of conversations that happen at the leadership level. You're in at every level in the organization. I mean, DEI became so important this year, you know, whether it is civil unrest that happened, AAPI, and companies have had more of an honest conversation and been pushed to declare where they stand on some of these issues. And I think it is that uncomfortableness that's been really important for a lot of companies. When I started in this business, companies didn't declare on social issues. The world has changed and now we're declaring on a whole lot of things. And even talking to my leadership team, you know, when George Floyd happened and how we were going to address it and what kind of message we would send out to our employees, 
But even greater than that, you know, our franchisees into the public, our guests out there, you know, look at COVID and how it's affected women in the workplace and being declarative about that. And what is our commitment around it? It's about the things that are happening with AAPI and the violence now and companies being declarative and saying unacceptable. We're going to take a stand here and we know that there may be ramifications from it. And I think that's the real integrity that companies are faced with. That's the cold face. That is where the rubber meets the road. And you really have to be honest. And and we may not have always gotten to the right decisions, but I feel pretty good about the track record that we've made. And we've hindsighted the ones that we look back at and say, gosh, I wish we would have done this. And I think that's all you can expect from organizations. But it is really being open to those honest dialogues. I remember when George Floyd happened, myself and the CEO just did an open call with our employees and they asked us some tough questions, (laughs) but I felt more comfortable having those conversations, really feeling where people were at and really helping them start to feel how do they activate? How do they feel better about this conversation? And sometimes, you know, in some places, how do you just listen? And I think, again, that comes to the core values of what a company is all about in respecting its workforce and making sure they are engaged in part of the decision making. No, it's it's a source of encouragement to see the tone has changed. People are listening differently. And I know that uh, the changes that we may want to see take time, but mm-hmm. there's a different, it, it feels different. We're having conversations. Yes. (laughs) I mean, we used to be having conversations. (laughs) We're having the conversations and it's focused on how do we do better? Right. And I I just think the role of companies being able to address this now that the role of CHROs and other people who are focused in on people, there's there's a different level of sophistication about being able to listen well. Right. So I appreciate um, what you've done there. Because you're creating an environment in which there is safety and understanding and and that true dialogue. And I say that because when you look at creativity, when you look at creativity about creating equity, when you think all the different things, that creativity will not emerge if someone doesn't feel that they're in an environment where they're safe and cared for. So looking at your organization, you may want to respond to that, but as you do, how do you encourage creative thinking in your organization so that people feel safe enough to be creative? I think we do it a couple of ways. I think first, and and we're on a journey. I still think we have opportunity, but we've made a tremendous amount of movement forward. It's about empowering people, giving them the power to have failures and to make mistakes and encouraging people for the smart risk and creating guardrails around it. I think it's about those honest, open dialogue and what I call beach balling conversations where people can can come with different points of views and you encourage it and you may not get to the same place, but just having the dialogue, everyone walks away a little more educated from a different point of view. But I do think it really comes down to encouraging people to make those smart decisions and building it, building it in your compensation, making sure that is something that from a performance standpoint that you highlight and say is important as you think about succession planning and things like that, looking at people's critical skills and critical thinking and accentuating that in a, in a meaningful sort of way. And I think that's become more dynamic through COVID where we're not in the same place. You know, when we're talking in Zoom and, 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 and teams aren't together, we're in the restaurant business. Our teams do better when they're together, but we've learned how to be successful being in a remote. Um, and we've learned how to create artificial communities and still 
bring our culture to life in a remote atmosphere. And it happens because everyone is committed to the culture. And again, we're on a journey. I'm not declaring victory. It is definitely a journey. But for us to have probably one of our most successful years, you know, part of it came through because we have drive-throughs. But for us to be able to take it and activate it in a meaningful sort of way and have all of our teams shooting on all cylinders, I think speaks to culturally the direction that we're moving in and having leaders that encouraged it. Thank you for that authentic response. I, I really listening to you and, and just interacting right now, uh, this is something that's an area of passion for you and, and you can see it yeah, and you can yeah. hear it. And I, and I love that. <laughs> so you've been around some great leaders in different organizations. You've been exposed to some great leaders at Howard and other places. You are an effective leader who cares about people. When you think about characteristics uh, of leaders, and I know that's probably an unfair even way to describe it, but when you think about this is something I see in people that leaders need this. Yeah. If I could distill that down to, to one characteristic that you may not even choose tomorrow, but you might choose today. Yeah. If, you, if you said, you know, one thing I, I just see that I think every leader is probably going to need, what would you put in that category? I'm going to stretch it a little and say, I think that things like self-awareness and integrity are table stakes. So the one thing that I think is really important right now for leaders to be able to have is being inspirational visionaries. You know, how do you inspire the team? How do you know what the future looks like? How do you lay the path out for them? Particularly leaders where we have teams of people. It's not about our performance, but it's about the performance of the team. So how do you get people to walk through the fire, walk on water, do the unthinkable? How do you inspire them to go beyond what they believe is their greatest moment? And I think that being a visionary leader is, is that can inspire people is really critical right now. Because I can, I can work with subject matter expertise and all those things, but a leader should be, general leader should be cross-functional. And it's not about those things. It's about getting a team of people to the best performance the team can do. You know, there's an acronym that has uh, gained some momentum that came out of uh, the U.S. Army, but it was, uh, it's called VUCA, V-U-C-A. So it's uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And so they designed this VUCA concept and you're uh, nodding your head of, of awareness of it. What I find interesting because it mirrors exactly what you're describing. The first thing that has to happen when you are in an environment where there's volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, the first thing that you have to do is to inspire through leadership. You have to say, we're going to take that hill right there. And we may be wrong and we may have to reverse and come back <laughs> and try it again. But that certainty, that clarity if we're going to go there, nothing can happen until somebody in a leadership role says, uh, this is what we're going to do. We're, we're exactly. Going to, we're going to, and so I love what you're saying. And I would just say that over the past year, year and a half, a lot of leaders may have gotten there instinctively. Right. But that, what, what you're saying for the listeners right now, in times of uncertainty, leaders have to decide we're going to go this way. They can always reverse. Right. But people are looking to you to be able to say, we're going to take this hill. And that passion is huge. And it's been critical for leaders, to your point, during this pandemic. And you've been able to really divide up the leaders that have been highly successful and, and the ones that have struggled through seeing how they've led their teams. So, again, just an on-ramp onto this next part of the conversation of, I appreciate your positive um, outlook on, you know, we were able to make it through. We, we had the drive-throughs. We got hit, but maybe not hit as hard as other people you know, and, and not that you aren't compassionate about them, but it wasn't really clear who 
or what was going to make it through all this. And then here you are, you, you made it. But that experience of being challenged in every way of how do we think about the place? How do we think about our jobs? And you translate that into the big challenges that leaders are contemplating. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing leaders today? I think it goes back to talent, being able to secure the best talent out there, being a connoisseur of talent, being able to develop them, attract, cultivate, and really having a proposition through your culture that attracts the right people, having clarity on your brand image and your EVP, so knowing who's successful there. But we're faced with a market that, you know, again, when I started in this business 30 years ago, restaurant people were recruited you know, we're recruiting only restaurant people. Now I'm competing against Google and Amazon where people can monetize their car and get paid the same day. There are so many, and there's a collapse of the sectors that you didn't see 30 years ago. And so in the war for the best talented people Mm. that feel empowered to drive results for your company, I think people have to be even more thoughtful about talent management and making sure that it's everyone's role. It's just not HR. It's your line leaders. Everyone should be a connoisseur of talent. Everyone should be recruiters out there. You know, having compelling engagement that helps people through the life cycle of their experience with your company. And then you throw the complication is we have four generations in the workplace and how you take information and how they consume it becomes more dynamic. But I think if you start with the people, you know, I tell people all the time, we're in the burger business, but we're really in the people business. Mm. (laughs) So if you start there, then you can be highly successful. But I, I think you're seeing through the challenge of, you know, where we are from a workforce standpoint with the amplification of a lot of these entitlement programs by states, that there's just not a lot of people out there and we're all fighting for the same talented people and engagement in, in, in making sure we get the best people that fit with our brands is so critical for us. Which thankfully is consistent with your values of creating a place where people feel like they belong. So a couple more questions. And again, thank you so much for the time today. I, I find your perspective extremely helpful because when I think about that talent race right now of, of how do we how do we get there first? How do we get people recruited successfully and all that? Even yesterday, I saw on social media, it was a local restaurant that was apologizing. And it was apologizing to its customers because of the lack of, they didn't have enough employees to serve them well. And evidently, uh, it was really obvious. And they said, we're desperately trying to find more people, but we don't have enough employees and we can't find them. And so to hear from you from the top of the world of, of human resources and what you're developing that that is, um, that that is something that you're focused on with people first and people last. And I just thank you again for being a part of this. So one of the things that I find is that I love being around leaders, but <laughs> I also think that leadership is way overrated. Of It is, um, it, it is painful. It is challenging. You, you hear people say, you know, if you're a leader and you're lonely at the top and you're not leading very well because you shouldn't be there by yourself. And I think that's someone who's never been in leadership (laughs) (laughs) because that's not how it works. Even even if you care about people and you love them. And so leadership is something that, you know, some people will say, you know, leaders are so arrogant, they got the big egos. I have found it to be almost the exact opposite of most leaders. You're kind of duct taping them back together to stay out there to make a difference. Because if you're going to make an impact as a leader, it may not be while you're at that organization. It may be 5, 10, 20 years after you're gone that the biggest impact is made with what you said or did. So I say all that if people have to understand 
that there is a high price to be paid and it is worth it if it's about people. But you're talking to someone who is going into leadership for the first time. They are experiencing that transition of what it means to be a leader. And it is a tough one. What advice would you give someone who's going into leadership for the first time? The advice that I tell leaders here and and people that I mentor is um, balance, particularly now where wellness is so important, everything in balance. We all as leaders need time to recharge. We're our best selves when we have time to recharge. Invest in yourself. You know, sometimes you have to schedule that and investing in yourself is not only, you know, making sure you take vacations, making sure that you have boundaries, but it's also staying competitive to the marketplace, reading articles, belonging to associations, things that keep you innovative and, and sharp. But it really is about balance and making sure you strike that balance that allows you to be the best leader that you can be. We understand that leaders that are burnt out aren't as effective. So we want to make sure that for you to be the most effective leader and create value to your organization, you need to be balanced. And I know we're all busy, but sometimes you have to schedule that balance. (laughs) And that would be the best advice that I I would give my younger self. I would give leaders that are coming up today. I I know that if you're in your 20s and you're trying to conquer the world, you're going to put that extra energy in, but let's do it in balance. So... You've already mentioned people who were a part of your life that helped guide you. And you also mentioned your willingness to take home reading materials, even at McDonald's, to learn the standard operational procedure, operating procedures of, of how do I yeah. do things. And, and you wanted to be great at your craft. So fast forward till, to now, you've, you've mentioned some dialogue and, and conversations you have with other people about life. But if, if you were talking to someone else who might be out there who's in a, in a maybe even in a similar role that you're in, leading a, a large team for a large organization, what are some resources that you, that you could recommend, they might be formal, informal, for someone who's trying to gain insight into becoming a, a better leader? I'm a big fan of, of assessments and people understanding how they're hardwired. I'm a big fan of 360 experiences. So, you know, this is how you're wired. This is how you operate. This is what you project. I think having mentors and coaches, I think if you're fortunate enough to have a company invest in a coach, take it. It's a positive thing. It is not a negative. I think everyone needs to have that resource that they can be authentic and transparent and vulnerable and someone that isn't, you know, working in your organization that is assessing or having a point, a business point of view. And then I think having a kitchen crew of people, your guiding coalition, the people that you trust that can be honest with you. I think too many times leaders don't have people that can be honest with you and just say like, gosh, what you said was out of bounds or that wasn't, that's not a good idea. But having those people that you trust that understand where you're trying to go from your personal brand standpoint, that keep you honest to who you are, I think is really critical. So I think being able to get those external resources, understanding who you are, what you're good at, the assessment processes, understanding how you present yourself, and just being thoughtful about it. I'm a person that writes lists every day. This is what I did really well. These are my opportunities. And every day I start out and cooking breakfast for the kids. And I think this is how I'm going to be better today. And I set those goals for myself. And then the last thing I would say is journaling has been important to me. Hmm. I like to journal. 
I like to understand where I was at. And it's a way of me being self-satisfied with progress that sometimes in a linear way, you may not understand if you don't do something like journaling. So I think all of those things are, are really important to you. And there's so many tools that are available that are no cost out there. But again, if you have the opportunity to invest, you know, to be partaking assessments and, and really getting, you know, someone that does a good job of explaining it to you and then coaching, I, I think that's an excellent, excellent investment in your development. Thank you, Andrew. And as we wrap up the show today, I want to just point out that what Andrew is talking about is so valuable and it doesn't have to be expensive. And so the idea of self-reflection, to take that moment to to journal, to investigate more about who you are and, and how you see yourself and other people see you, it was a real eye-opener to me when you realize that self-awareness is what leads to other awareness. And so for me to be more other aware means that I have to be more self-aware, which means I have to be willing to ask those questions that I'm, I might not feel comfortable with, with the, the 360 or assessments and things like that. But after I'm self-aware, then it opens doors of opportunity to be other aware. And I love where Andrew's going. Anything else you want to leave us with as we wrap up our time today? No, I mean, I, I think we're, we're in hard times right now. People need to take care of their wellness. They need to stay centered for their families. And I wish everyone safety. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you for your uh, heart for people and for the good work that you're doing through a company that is clearly influencing a lot of lives and has the capacity to influence even more in time. I'm so grateful that you're listening in to the Strata Leadership Show. It, it really is about people. It starts with people. It ends with people. And so when you think about your role today, make the decision to set the pace and set the tone. Your job as a leader is to set the pace and set the tone. And we look forward to having you with us next time on the Strata Leadership Show. Have a great day.